The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by the Reverend Zach Keel. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. So for our... uh time together this morning, our meditation, I'd like to turn to a small passage, Genesis 49, just the tail end, verses 28 through 33. So the last part of Genesis 49, beginning in verse 28 through the end of the chapter. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah to the east of Memrir, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burial burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there they were buried, and there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have written these stories down for us as instructions for our faith, as testimonies of the greater salvation that you hold for us in Christ, of that greater hope and that greater land to which our faith should always be fixed upon. So, Lord, as we meditate on this part of Scripture, we pray that through Jacob and through the truth that you testify by him, that we might behold our Savior, and that we might rest in him, and that we might welcome you coming home and long for that day when you gather us to yourself. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if I was to ask you, how are you doing? Nearly all of you would say, busy. Even as you sit here, your mind is racing through your to-do list and your schedule, pondering all the things you need to get done, wondering if you should even have come to chapel in the first place. And yet, if anything characterizes our modern lives, it is the word busy, a frenetic immersion to work, to get things done, to check off your chore list. If you're not busy, you're feeling lazy. Scripture, though, isn't so 21st century in this regard. If you, if it handed you a catalog of necessary chores, you might be surprised to find on that list a single item, one necessary task. This is it. And Jacob testifies to this single necessity with a sublime clarity. So Jacob just finished his grand prophetic blessing of his 12 boys. In fact, in these final words of Jacob, they shape and they peer into the distant future of God's people. 
which is even hinted at here in verse 28, as the 12 sons are called for the first time the 12 tribes. Presently, these dozen lads are not tribes, but by the Lord's blessings, they will become tribes extending in the hills of, in the words of Jacob, even to the hills of eternity. Indeed, it's not an exaggeration to say that this final poetry of Jacob has its eyes gazing fondly on that glorious Zion above. And this is why Jacob's blessing has received so much attention, both in Scripture and, of course, by students of Scripture. And yet the radiance of this poetry has the effect of overshadowing the fact that these are not the last words of Jacob. Yes, the concluding words of Jacob come not in this blessing, but in a closing exhortation to his boys. And for his last syllables, Jacob chooses not poetry, but prose, in order to express things that are at once complex and simple. Jacob does not break forth into poetry. Rather, with the clarity of prose, his faith does not stutter. I'm about to be gathered to my kin. Now, this phrase is one of the key ways the saints of the old gave testimony to eternity. For to be gathered here doesn't mean to die. It doesn't refer to physical death. Also, this line does not refer to burial. Hence, in verse 33, Jacob is gathered, but he isn't buried till much later on in chapter 50. Rather, being gathered to one, one's kin refers to their blessed post-mortem fate to be with family and with the Lord. Being gathered testified that, that their Lord, the Lord was their God in death. It was the Lord bringing them, his dear saints, into the blessed afterlife. For Jacob to, to, be, to, to declare, I am being gathered, is for him to say, I'm going to join Abraham in the presence of the Lord. Now, of course, exactly how they understood this state is not entirely clear. But with this line, Jacob boldly confesses that he will live on with God and with his saintly kin. Jacob's death is not the end of his story. Yet as a testimony to this hope of afterlife, Jacob commands his sons to bury him. His burial is a sign and testimony of his hope for eternal life. Thus, Jacob chooses a burial in accord with the promises of the Lord. Now, we've already seen in the past few weeks how Jacob was afraid to go down to Egypt. Then, back in chapter 47, he already made Joseph swear not to bury him in Egypt. So again, Jacob reiterates for all his boys the exact spot of his burial, in the cave in Machpelah that Abraham purchased. Yet what is striking is how in five repetitive lines, Jacob rehearses the exact location, the cave, the field of, Mo of Ephron, you know, the field of Machpelah, the one east of Mamre, the one in Canaan, just so you know, the field that Abraham bought. 
Indeed, Jacob beats the dead horse so that there will be no confusions. No confusion. His sons must get it right. And they cannot mess this up. They have to get the correct cave. Yet Jacob uses a deliberate and remarkable phrase for the field. Verse 30. Literally, he calls Abraham's purchase a possession of a grave. Now, the term here for possession is regularly used for Israel coming into the promised land. That is, the whole land of promise will be Israel's possession after the exodus. But here, the only holding of Jacob is a grave. All he has is a mausoleum manor, a crypt plot, a burial estate, a cave of bones. God's promises were about life and land, but the only token Jacob has of this is a tomb, a place of death. But this is enough for Jacob, for he must be laid to rest in his gravesite inheritance. As a testimony of being gathered to a better land, Jacob must be entombed in the grave of Abraham. Indeed, after he regurgitates the location, note how he lists off the occupants of the tomb. There, he says, Abraham and Sarah, his wife, were buried. There, Isaac and Rebekah, his wife, were buried. In short, Jacob lists off the family members he's being gathered to. These are Jacob's people. Note, it's not the Canaanites. It's not the Hittites. Ishmael or Esau, they were not buried there, and it is for sure not the Egyptians. But his kin, his people, are the saints of God's covenant, Abraham and Isaac, Sarah and Rebekah. In Genesis, faith in God must be expressed by being loyal to God's people. Thus, here we see Jacob's faith wavers not in the slightest. Then note how Jacob breaks the pattern in the third line of verse 31. The pattern is Abram, Abraham and Sarah, his wife, Isaac and Rebekah, his wife, and then just the bland Leah. Now, this is the first we've learned about Leah, both her death and being buried in the cave. Now, the death of Rachel was narrated for us back in chapter 35, as she died and was buried close to Bethlehem. Yes, Rachel didn't make it to Machpelah, but she was laid to rest on the side of a road with a pillar to honor her. Jacob, though, chooses here to be buried with Leah, which is kind of surprising if you think about it because he never really loved Leah that much. Jacob's passion was for Rachel. She was the only love of his life. Jacob always remained cool to Leah, begrudging her, keeping her at arm's length. Sure, she was good enough to be a mom, but not a lover. Thus, even here, Jacob can't even bring himself to call Leah his wife. He just says Leah. And yet he chooses to be buried with a woman that he did not love. Why is this? 
Well, it's not that Rachel didn't have hope for eternal life. Sure, she did. But the token and sign of God's promise was this grave purchased by Abraham. This tomb was the Lord's sign and seal of the land promise. And faith must be tied to the promise and its signs. Hence, in choosing uh, this cave over Rachel, Jacob's faith grabs on the Lord over the love of a woman. The love of a husband, the love of a wife, only lasts this life. But the loving promise of the Lord endures forever, in death and in the great beyond. And so in selecting the tomb with Leah, Jacob announces that his Lord is his only Savior and shield in life and in death. He testifies that the Lord will bring him to those eternal fields through a cave sealed with a stone. His faith grabs on to that most precious of truths, namely that God's true life only comes through a grave, a truth made a reality by Christ. Why can the tomb be the gateway to life and reunion for Jacob? It can because Christ shattered the bars of death with his righteousness. Death is a prison. It is the land of no return. No one escapes Sheol without blood and righteousness. But with the death of Christ, or without the death of Christ, being gathered to a blessed afterlife would be a fool's hope. But with eyes upon Jesus, Jacob's faith was sure. His hope was certain, and his death was artfully done in the Lord. Note after how he fin- after he finishes his prose, he, it says he gathers up his feet on the bed. Well, this is a curious line, but it most likely refers to him willingly laying down to die. That is, he curls up his legs to himself to welcome his God in his death. Thus, after this, he breathes his laugh and he's gathered to his kin in the blessed afterlife with God. In short, we witness Jacob, a saint, dying well in the Lord. We behold the one necessity of our busy lives, to die artfully in Christ. This is it. Jesus Christ has done everything else. The only thing left is for us to die in faith In Jesus. As Revelation says, blessed are those who die in the Lord. Now, until death, we have the privilege to serve and worship the Lord. But all of this isn't necessary. Why? Because the Lord might gather us to Himself tomorrow or in 75 years. We will all die with items unchecked on our to do list which is fine, for our service doesn't gain us glory or win us a crown in Zion. No, Jesus' death and resurrection earned every ounce of heaven for you. Like the thief on the cross, all we must ultimately do is believe 
and die in Jesus. For this is the only way that we truly come to appreciate what Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, this is the other thing that Jacob's faith shows us. By picking a tomb, he testifies that this world is too small. This age is not worthy of the glory that the Lord has in store for us. Thus, in dying to this world, we come alive to the age to come. So then, as you rush off to your busy uh, checklist, may you be ready to die well in Jesus. And as your schedule always keeps you hopping, yet may your soul find rest and peace in the, co- in the completed and perfect work of Christ. For he is the one who holds you, and he does so as the resurrected one. Amen. Go in peace. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California. 2019. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.